1: Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler.
2: Welcome to Leadership Development News, hosted by Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Dr. Relly Nadler. I'm Allison Childs with the Center for Creative Leadership. Kathy and Raley have helped thousands of people like you become better performers, managers, and leaders with their unique approaches to coaching. Dr. Riley Nadler is a master level certified executive coach with the International Coaching Federation. A psychologist, corporate leadership, and team trainer, Dr. Nadler brings his expertise and in emotional intelligence to all his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and training. Dr. Nadler's Leaders Playbook provides hundreds of tools and strategies to develop star performers. For more information and free tools by Riley Nadler, go to www.truenorthleadership.com. New York Times bestselling author Kathy Greenberg wins hearts and minds around the world with her internationally acclaimed books on the new science of happiness, including What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Working Mothers Know. Kathy is available for a variety of consulting and coaching programs where you can learn to apply her unique happiness equals profit business formula. For more on Kathy's coaching, tools, consulting, and keynote speaking, go to www.h2cleadership.com or www.whathappyworkingmothersknow.com for free tips and downloads.
3: Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Rowan Adler, my co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, in the show. And between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. And today, it's going to be a very interesting show. We have Rosa Scarcelli. Uh, Rosa is a a Democratic candidate for governor of Maine. And she's actually in the middle of her campaign right now. She's recognized as a business and community leader in Maine. Rosa, who is 40, is a very happy, successful wife and a mother of three. While her background isn't in politics, Rosa's experience comes from being a business leader and a developer of people and business. Today, Rosa will share her work and her own track record of success and reveal her vision for building a successful community of people and rebuilding companies to help Maine, like many states across the nation, recover, refresh, demonstrate, and be have responsible leadership for the future. And you know uh, that Kathy and I, we always wanna bring you evidence-based um, best practices, things that are gonna help you and help your organization to move forward. And Kathy, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you, Relly. I am just delighted today that Rosa has found some time in her busy campaign schedule to take a break and share with us some of her thoughts on being a top performer, being someone who is known for her leadership and will soon be known to the entire nation for her leadership with all luck and, uh, I want to say, good things for the future. But as you know, our audience, we love to share as much as we can with you in each and every show about tips and tools, techniques, and practices to be your best. And we know that leaders can underperform, and as a result, the teams around them can underperform. But there are just a few things you can do differently to really improve the performance of both yourself as a leader and the team around you. And in every show, Relly and I try to give you some tips and tools on how to develop both yourself and others in your company to be better leaders for your organization and for your community. We also love to talk about happy companies and performance, emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies to be your best, something about brain and neuroscience contributions to top performance, Anything that we can share with you about generation and gender differences to be your best, work-life balance practices, and certainly our favorite topic, strategies for managing yourself and your boss. And we will give you lots of tools and tips today based on Rosa Scarcelli's service to both leadership and business. Relly, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about the science behind leadership and why it's so
3: important? Great. Well, thank you, Kathy. We talk about leaders on leadership development news here because leaders have 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. Today, we're, we're going to be talking with uh, Rosa Scarcelli as a, a potential leader of a state and think about the influence that the leader will have over the, the state. A big reason that is is that emotions are contagious, and the leader... Sets the emotional thermostat for the team, or it could be the emotional thermostat for the state and for the agenda and, and where we're going. And the key to being a star performer is someone being in the top 10%. It's really as a tipping point. If you can get somebody into the top 10%, um, they're twice as productive to the revenue as someone in the 11th through the 89th percentile. And one of the keys for getting someone in the top 10%, if you look at how smart someone is, you look at their IQ and then you look at this concept that we talk about, emotional intelligence, a lot of the factors that put someone in the top 10% is emotional intelligence. And, you know, Kathy and I are both um, certified coaches, and we know in organizations that training is important. And when you have training alone, it can add about a 22% increase in productivity. But if you add training and coaching, individual focus on goals for leaders, it can add about an 88% increase in productivity. If you want to get more information about Dr. Kathy Greenberg and some of the great stuff that she does, her website is www.h2cleadership. She has happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and uh, coaching services. If you want some more information about me, Dr. Rowley Nadler, my website is www.truenorthleadership.com for emotional intelligence books. There's some free EI assessments, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. And Kathy, maybe you can tell us a little bit about more about Rosa and how the two of you got to know each other.
4: Well, it would be an honor, and uh, it is a privilege to know Rosa. Uh, I met Rosa last year at the Global Leadership YPO program uh, that was held in the Miami area last, I believe it was last May or March. I get a little foggy on the M's and the months. And Rosa can probably help us with that when she comes on. But uh, I met Rosa uh, at a luncheon where I was a speaker uh, for the women's group that was attending. Uh, this is a, a very select group of women leaders across the nation. And as I said, it's an honor and a privilege to know her. Rosa is, again, 40 years old, which is amazing, given her career track record. And she is a recognized business and community leader in Maine. She is a wife and mother of three children, so she has concerns from a very well-rounded vantage point. Her background isn't in politics, as you could guess. Her experience comes from building a successful business a company that has created hundreds of jobs and provides quality, affordable housing to thousands of people in the state of Maine, including the elderly, veterans, single parents, and disabled individuals. Her company does this in 14 out of 16 counties across Maine. Could you imagine what she could do for that entire state and for our nation. Like many states, Maine is facing an estimated budget deficit, over $400 million. And Rose's leadership, her experience, clearly indicates that she is the right candidate who is focused on the fundamental changes needed to see more of our nation's government operate efficiently and effectively. And that's a leadership issue for all of us. She's created jobs and she's made a payroll. She is the only candidate to have a bold and specific plan to create 50,000 jobs alone in the state of Maine. She certainly brings a new and a fresh perspective as a business leader, and she is one of those people who approaches everything emphasizing common sense solutions, accountability, and reasonable leadership. And we're so pleased to have you with us on the show today, Rosa, welcome.
5: Thank you, it's great to be with you both appreciate it. Thank
4: you. Now, did we meet in May or March?
5: You know what? As you were saying that, I was wondering, I can't remember. <laughs>
4: I, <know>. it <laughs> I think it was March. Then. I yeah. think it
5: was March. It's been a Great. year. Now, yeah.
4: since I've met you, you now have, I just want to make sure our leaders get this, um, our leader listeners get this throughout the show. And that Is, is that right?
5: That's right. And I would love okay. to have people go to my website and, and give me their feedback.
3: Excellent. Well, Rosa, I think what we'd like to ask all our guests <coughs> is to tell us a little bit about whose influence, your leadership style, who you are today, and then I think probably the next thing people are interested in, you know, how had you become, from your background, interested in politics?
5: Yeah, and, well, and they, and they connect, so it's a great question. Um, my, as a young person, I was a Senate page, a mm-hmm. U.S. Senate page, and that was um, because I had a, a relationship with, um, through my family and political um, connections with Senator George Mitchell who was our majority leader and at the time he had not risen to majority leader yet in the US Senate and I had an opportunity to work for him as his first US Senate page so I had an experience with Washington and seeing from the inside how how government worked and as a young young child I had been around Lillian Carter and Jimmy Carter and Mondale and people that were coming through Maine, that my family um, was affiliated through, um, because they were very active in politics. So I had particularly George Mitchell to thank for my experience in terms of politics and seeing Washington firsthand, but really also as a leader. He was a very quiet, thoughtful, and articulate man. And when, when I was there, it was the Iran-Contra Iran hearings, which was a fascinating time for Washington, a fascinating time in our history, and I watched him preside over those hearings, and it was just an amazing experience for a young person, and that influenced my interest in politics as did my experience with my parents who were known um, as very politically active people and who started the first pancake breakfast for the Democrats in Franklin County where I grew up. And so what I understood as service was politics and being involved in, in, politics. And as a woman, I think it's even more important that we lend our voice to politics because that's where our children's future is being determined. And I think we need to weigh in now. We're at a critical point, but in terms of leadership style, I would say Senator Mitchell was a key person. And also, you know, my mother started her business when I was an eight-year-old, and she grew her business very rapidly and very successfully. And so when I joined the family business in 1992... She felt that she had done it, so why couldn't her daughter do it? So I had some great opportunities to step into leadership that I'm sure many, many other people have not had, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I did learn from her style as well, but I take a very collaborative approach to leadership that may come from um, generational changes in the way we perceive how women need to operate. So th- that's what Rosa, it has influenced me. Yeah, Rosa,
4: tell us a little bit about the kind of business uh, that your family operates.
5: Well, my I, I own a business that's a property management business. So I manage affordable housing in four states. We house thousands of people in Maine. We we house nearly three thousand people, as you said, in fourteen counties. It's and it's um, a property management company. So we're a four fee business, but we work in an industrial context. So I have clients and lenders that are the U.S. government. I have third parties that I manage for. I have some family um, related entities that I manage for, and then I've got thousands and thousands of tenants. So we serve people you know, in three different ways, our tenants, our reporting agencies, and our owners. And it's a, it's a highly regulated, low-margin business. It's a very difficult business. My mother founded the business in 1978, and when I joined the business in 1992, I joined on the development side. So I did about a half a billion dollars worth of development from when I took on the development division in 1994 until I left just before 1999. And then in 2000, I started my own business, and so that's where I, it's an affordable housing business that um, started as a family business and now has transitioned into the second generation. Excellent. Well, we're going to
4: take a quick break, so don't go away. This is Leadership Development News, and we're talking to Rosa Scarcelli, Democratic, I want to say, candidate for the governor of Maine.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is one 866 472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show.
3: Welcome back to Leadership Development News. Today we're talking with Rosa, Rosa Scarcelli. She's a Democratic candidate for the governor of Maine in the midst of a campaign right now. And, Rosa, before the break, you were telling us about the business that you were in, property management with your mom, and then just as we ended, you said then you started your own business. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get into some of the things you bring to the candidacy.
5: So in, in 2000, I started my own business. I had a three-year-old and a six-week-old baby, and I had left the family business because I felt that it was, it was too difficult to work within a very large corporation, a corporate setting, and to have children. So I decided I would go out on my own, and I took a lot of risks. I had to figure out how to provide health insurance and, and the things that people are still struggling with today when they want to start their own businesses. But I did that in 2000, and so I started a property management company, and I had been on the development side before, and I hadn't done it before, so I really started from scratch. And before I knew it, I had a a year-old business, uh, a three-year-old, almost four-year-old, almost one-year-old, and a new baby. So I had three children under the age of three and a new business. And that business grew, and in 2005, I was actually um, asked by my family to come back into the family business because we had been running the management side through hired guns, people that were working for us and, and didn't have a vested interest, and the business had been losing about a half a million dollars a year for several years. So I came back in and I did a turnaround, and spent a year empowering my staff and restructuring the entire organization and changing the culture. And we did that um, very successfully. We turned a profit in the first year, and I went on to buy the business. So Stanford Management is a business that um, ha- it was a second, it is a second generation, but I own it. Now, and um, I'm very proud of it. We've grown significantly and been recognized as one of the top affordable housing providers in the country and the largest woman owned affordable housing provider.
4: It's amazing. It's a wonderful story. So, I guess um, at this point, our listeners are thinking you are pretty different from certainly the standard political candidate um, that they've heard in the past, and certainly as a business leader. You have the prerequisite, I want to say, kind of performance track record. But what makes you different from other candidates that you're, you're running against in this particular primary?
5: Well, I, I am very different in that I am the only person that does not have a political resume. I am a business owner. I do make a payroll, and I have not only employees but people that I take care of, thousands of people in the state of Maine from one end to the other. So I am not a politician, and I do bring a different perspective. I, you know, when I turned around my business, Kathy, I was told by people on my staff, you just can't do it that, that way. We only do it this way. And I suspect that you'll hear that a lot in our state capital when trying to make the changes that are absolutely necessary to move the state forward. But I know from firsthand experience that you can do it and you need to do it with your biggest asset, which is the people that work for you. And I've had that experience in the last five years, and I know that you can, in fact, change a culture, even one as large as the state of Maine. Now, the state of Maine is a great opportunity to show how you can make transformational change because we have 27,000 state employees and we have a $5.5 billion budget, all relatively small and potentially tremendous in terms of a learning opportunity around the country for how you can move a state forward. So, so
3: maybe you can say a little bit more, because I think some of the, one of the questions where I heard some of the, some of the background and experience, but uh, just about how you would bring that to you know, running, running the state.
5: My belief is that the turnaround experience I've had is very relevant to where we are in the state of Maine. And, you know, the majority of states in this country are facing the same kind of financial crisis. Maine will see potentially a billion-dollar shortfall for the next governor to deal with. And we won't be able to do things the same way. So turning around the state is similar to turning around the business, except that instead of you know, 100 employees, it will be 20,000 employees. And you can do that if you appoint top-notch people to your cabinet, no mm-hmm. political appointments, just people that are experts in their field and are managers. Because it's great to have an idea, but implementation mm-hmm. is going to be a key component to any success. So and I've always surrounded myself with capable, talented people, and I think I can attract them to service.
4: That's a tough one, Rosa, and I agree with where you're going, and I certainly love your passion. But one of the things I just want to ask you as we talk about your background being a leader, and we're going to talk a little bit about your leadership style, is it's very hard to get talent like you're talking about to come to government because of the pay grade, uh, certainly because of the government politics that have been inherent in that climate for a long time. So tell me about your leadership style and how you think that's going to make a difference in getting the right people
5: in place. Well, I mean, I, I believe in empowering my staff. I believe that you've got to be collaborative. And you really do need to find people that are willing to contribute at a time and place in their career that is not a reward for past success but is a stepping stone for them. And I, that's a different kind of profile than has typically been the, the kind of people that have been attracted into state government. I would like to see people come and serve because they're inspired by being part of change. And you know, I'm not Obama, and I don't suggest that I am, but in the Obama administration they had over a million people apply for positions, while in the Clinton administration they had about 300,000. So you can, you can bring and attract people if you're an inspired leader and if you have the energy and if you have the passion. Maine can be great again if we prioritize and if we work hard, and we won't be able to do it if we think the status quo is okay. So my leadership style is one of having a vision and an agenda, but I'm, all, all, I'm very focused on the people that are around me and giving them the ability to affect
3: change. One of the things, Rosa, that, that I hear that ties into things that Kathy and I talk about <clears throat> around leadership, and, and this is the, some of the brain neuroscience, you know, you can have, sounds like uh, it, uh, some of the dictatorial leadership that may have been in the past or you've seen and maybe people will first deny they may comply um but they're not committed and, and I think the inspirational leadership asking for people's opinions bringing out their their best thoughts that's really where their creativity comes and then then it's their idea and you really have this sense of commitment and I really hear hear that that in your style um that's really what you're doing not only are you developing the um agenda for the state. It sounds like you're really developing people.
5: Absolutely. I mean, in my turnaround experience, the folks in the top that needed to move on when they didn't understand my vision and didn't want to get on board is very similar to getting new people in your cabinet. But the people in my field that were out really connecting with the communities that they served, they were in small satellite offices and they weren't dispersed out into the community at all. And what I did is I asked them to go back out into the field and tell me how they could do things differently. And I had a very demoralized staff when I arrived. And in a year's time, they were empowered and engaged and very productive because they had buy-in because it right. was their idea. So you're absolutely right. That's my first hand experience. And it can be done with any organization, no matter the size. And, you know, the, the tone, as you said, of the leader sets the tone for the entire organization. And you need to make sure that the people that are surrounding you are people that believe in your vision and have the same energy and same passion because you cannot affect change solely one person, and you don't affect it from the top down either. You've got to bring people from both ends together.
4: Now, Rosa, you had given us some statistics a few minutes ago about the Obama administration and the Clinton administration. a little bit about why those statistics are important.
5: Well, I just think it's an interesting example of how many people were so engaged in this last election and the hopefulness that was around the change that was, you know, being um, sold across the country. And, you know, there's some disappointment and frustration now, but I, I think people need an opportunity to step back and and let um, this unfold. There's a lot that's happening right now. But I just think it's an interesting illustration that there was an inspiration and an emotion around this last election that was unlike any that we'd seen before, and it did bring people to service. The reason that I'm running, I'm a private sector citizen. I have a successful business. I have you know, three beautiful children, and you know, I'm married, right? I've got a fantastic husband, and without him I couldn't do what I'm doing. But I want to serve because I want to make a difference. And I know that it's not only connected to um, this last election, but it's connected to the crisis we've all lived through in the last year. The world has changed, and priorities of people have changed. I want to see the world, I want to see the state of Maine a better place for my kids, and I feel that I have an experience that can offer the state of Maine a different perspective.
3: So, Rosa, as I hear you speak, which is great, and I know, Kathy, you're picking this up too, is the passion that you have. And, and I think that's <clears throat> what's inspired, because I would think for, you know, for a lot of listeners to say, well, why would you, you want know, to run? You know, you have a family, you have all this stuff, but uh, but I'm hearing really that sense of passion and that sense of, of wanting to make a contribution and, and bring about differences.
5: Absolutely, and I want to go in, even if it means that I'm there for four years, to do the hard work that I think a politician would not be able to do. I want to go in and offer a perspective that a crisis, I think, allows us to bring to the table billion-dollar shortfall means we can't do things the same way. Mm. And if we really want to transform how we deliver services and and what we prioritize, it's going to be a difficult job. And I'd like to bring my experience uh, to that conversation and also invite some amazing people in Maine. There's so many bright people in the state that are not part of the process. And Kathy, you hit the nail on the head there that a lot of people aren't interested. And I think they're more not interested because they don't feel that our state capital addresses their everyday concerns. We spend a lot of time dealing with issues that are not relevant to Maine people's everyday lives of how are they going to feed themselves, how are they going to pay their mortgage, and are they going to have a job? And those are issues that are the same across the entire country. People are still fearful, and they want to have a direction that they can rally around. And my, my focus is that Maine will grow, and it will be great again because it is a unique place special in New England, but we have to prioritize. We can't be everything to everyone. And to deliver that, it's going to be tough.
4: You know, it is, and what I'd like you to do, um, we're gonna go to a quick break, but what I'd like you to do while you're on break is think about why everyone um, is continuing to be concerned about the economy and what you would like to see done Uh, to improve people's lives so this is leadership development news come right back we're having an interesting conversation with rosa scarcelli democratic candidate for governor state of maine
3: She's a Democratic candidate for governor of Maine, having a very interesting conversation about, you know, her business background and what she's bringing to um, her campaign. And before the break, we were saying how everybody is concerned about the economy. And Rosa, what would would be your plan uh, as governor to improve people's lives and the economy?
5: Well, in the state of Maine, there are a couple fundamentals that we need to focus on. And one is we don't evaluate any of our programs in state government. So we are considering a billion-dollar shortfall for the next biennial budget. And without the data, without the tools of measurement, there's no way you can make intelligent changes and cuts. And Maine people really know that right now. I think they're feeling very disconnected from our, you know, our leaders because they are talking about cutting essential services. And it, it continues to make people feel uneasy about the condition of the economy, and the recovery signs are, are few and far between. So I, wh- what we need to do is talk about the direction we will go as a state, how we will come together with our limited resources and focus and grow. And so to, I've already written a book called Maine Rising, and it's on my website, RosaFormain.com, and people can look at it because we've laid out a very specific plan to create the jobs that people desperately need. And if you want this job of governor, you need to be able to articulate a plan. People are feeling very fearful, and we need to give them a roadmap for where we're going to go. So evaluation is important, and then investing is important. In Maine, like many other states, the biggest cuts right now are essential services to the impoverished and to elderly, and then education. And if we aren't investing, we will not grow. And a slow cut you know, across the board and a continuation of the decline that we're seeing will just put us on a death spiral. So people need to feel that they are having their taxpayer dollars evaluated and effectively and efficiently spent, and they need to know that their future and their children's futures are being invested in. And then the message has to be clear, because right now we have leadership that doesn't seem to have a clear vision for the state, and everyone needs to know where we're going so collectively we can work together, and that's what's missing. We need a vision of growth and greatness.
4: That was beautiful, Rosa. And you know, I can tell in your voice that this is not this is not something that you have just kind of practiced as a speech. This is really from your heart. And that that's really I think a different quality that I hear uh in your particular candidacy as a business person who's a great leader trying to help a, a nation recover in an economy that's just so, you know, off kilter. Does government really create jobs, or or does it really create a climate for jobs to flourish?
5: It's It's a good question. The government can't create jobs, but they can certainly direct investment in a certain way. I'm I'm an affordable housing provider, and the 1986 tax law changes that allowed for the low-income housing tax credit to come into existence certainly drove a huge amount of investment. The, The credits that we're talking about for renewable energy potentially will drive a huge investment. So the government can create policies, can create programs, and can direct and stimulate investment. But in the state of Maine, for example, the state won't be um, able to create jobs, but it certainly can get a tax structure in place and a regulatory environment in place that allows the private sector to grow and to invest and right now, Maine is not business-friendly, and we really do need to focus on having more economic vitality. I, I tell people we need a larger economic pie, not a smaller one, because more opportunity is better for everyone. So we, we can't create jobs here in Maine through government, but we can certainly make it easier for businesses to grow.
4: When you think about um, all the experience that you've had as a business person creating jobs and opportunities. Is there any experience that you reflect upon that gives you confidence that you can do that in the government as well?
5: Absolutely. Um, In the last 24 months, I brought $26 million of USDA money into the state of Maine, which is significant for the size of our state. And I was able to create several hundred construction jobs in the last six months alone with that pilot program. I was uh, awarded 21 of 78 awards in the pilot. So it's a quarter of all the awards came here to Maine. I, I know I've got a proven track record in leveraging federal dollars and bringing those resources to the state. That's exactly the kind of mindset that our next governor has to have. We can't afford to let any piece of government funding pass us by. And you know, the state of Maine missed the first round of the No Child Left, Left I'm not I'm sorry the Race to the Top funding. So we're now participating in the second round of Race to and the Top you- funding.
4: Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. what that means? Yeah, the
5: race to the top is, is um, Department of Education's four and a billion fund for uh, states that are doing interesting and specifically innovative things in education. And all but 10 states competed in the first round, and Maine was one of the 10 that did not. We will mm-hmm. compete in the second round, but we don't have the luxury, in my opinion, to pass up any additional federal dollars. Our state's too small. And we don't have the resources. So, you know, I have the track record of bringing and leveraging in federal dollars. I've also got the track record of creating jobs that are good-paying, stable, solid jobs right here in Maine. We've grown to, you know, over 100 employees over the last five years. And, you know, I'm making a payroll, and I know how hard it is to cover the health insurance costs for my, my staff. I know how hard it is to make sure that my expenses do not exceed my revenue. And those experiences are very relevant to running state government.
3: Sure, those are, those are ve- very uh, relevant and very needed. Um, one of the things I want to ask, we talked a little bit about during the break, so being a woman and then being, and you talked about some of the generation differences, maybe say a little bit about like your perspective of how does that influence your leadership or what does that add to the leadership or kind of the impact of being a woman and or uh, you know, as far as the generation, generation X, um, how does that affect your leadership?
5: Well, I know being a second-generation woman-owned business owner that I stand on the shoulders of my mother, who was in the real estate business in the 70s, which she, she was one of the very, very few in the entire country. And she had to work differently, and she had to operate in a world that was not accustomed to having someone like her in it. And I am fortunate that I was given lots of opportunities because I'm a uh, second-generation woman-owned business and because I was given the opportunity as a young woman to run a division of a very large company because my mother didn't see a difference between me or my brother in terms of who could lead and who who had the ability to do the job that she had had to do on her own and learn on her own. So I, I think that there's a generational difference in that not only the women, but the men of my generation were raised by these strong women. Uh, who are breaking out and doing it differently and, and setting a tone and, and creating a um, tremendous amount of opportunity for all of us. So we do see things differently because I didn't have to fight and scrap. I, I didn't have to do it the same way she did. I had the benefit of what she had done. And I think that does influence how I look at people and how I view people. I, I think I'm gender, generally gender neutral in terms of perception of, of people's abilities. And I, I do believe that everyone's capable of doing whatever it is that they set their mind to. And I was told that as a young child, you can do whatever you want as long as you set your mind to it. And that's a, that's a blessing that I will pass on to my own children to give them that self-confidence that they can achieve whatever they want. But I do think I'm lucky as uh, someone in their 40s because I did stand on the shoulders of women that had to do it very differently to compete and to get ahead. And I hope that the men of my generation will help all of us break through some of the other glass ceilings that are still there. We need more women in politics, we need more women in the boardroom, we need more women CEOs.
4: Now tell me a little bit about your history uh, with the YPO. As the CEO of a company, there are some remarkable character traits that you have to have just to get into that organization.
5: Well, there are 10,000 members internationally of Young Presidents Organization, and there's only about 680 women. And so we founded, and Kathy, you came to one of our events, we founded the Women's International Network within YPO so that the women of YPO could come together. And we are an amazing group of, of women. And you know it's a very selective group. You're invited to join, and it is, it is difficult. In in the United States, you have to have a business with over 50 employees. You have to have more than $15 million in sales. And you have to be under the age of 45 which is why it's called the Young Presidents Organization. And I feel very lucky to be part of that leadership group. I'm also part of the Aspen Institute. I'm a Henry Crown Fellow with the Aspen Institute, and I'm very proud of my affiliation with that organization as well because they're focusing on leadership too and what can we do to generate and to cultivate the next generation of leaders in our country. So I feel very blessed to be involved with both of those organizations.
4: And, Rosa, based on that, you know, Relly's question about the differences in leadership style, as a woman running for governor, uh, are there any advantages or disadvantages you think you have over any of the other candidates that are that are operating in that same sphere? And I know we're not going to talk about negative things. That's not what we do on the show. But I want to learn a little bit more about what you think women have to do differently.
5: And, and certainly we do. I'm, I'm acutely aware of um, two reactions I get. One is that people say, "Gosh, it's time for a woman." <laughs> And that's men and women alike uh, of all generations. I think women represent change. And so we don't have to say anything about the word change. We just represent doing it differently. We've never had a female governor in the state of Maine. It would certainly be a historic moment. I will cross you know, party lines and come to uh, the middle with solutions, and I will ask for ideas, and I don't care if they're Republican ideas or Democratic ideas or Independent ideas, as long as they're good ideas. So I believe women represent pragmatism and common sense. And right now, you know we are dealing with the kitchen table issues women primarily are paying the bills and managing household expenses and right now because of the economy the kitchen table issues are front and center so i hear a lot of people saying thank goodness you're in the race and you have a voice in this because you do see things differently so the other the other reaction I often get is right. about my about my age and that's an interesting story too. That was I was just going to
4: bring that one up and I I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that because uh, you're one of those women who in my mind meet the expectation of 40 under 40. So let me come back to that comment. This is Leadership Development News. We're speaking with Rosa Scarcelli. She is the Democratic candidate for the governor of Maine, and we're very happy to have her on Leadership Development News talking about her leadership style. Come right back.
0: Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%? At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times best-selling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know?, and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Solutions and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2Cleadership.com. That's H2Cleadership.com.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
3: Today we're finishing our conversation with Rosa Scarcelli. She is the Democratic candidate for the governor of Maine. She's into the last uh, 100 days of her, of her campaign right now. And so before the break, Rosa, we were talking about being a woman, and now we want to focus a little bit just about the age aspect. You know, what, what does someone who is uh, 40 may bring to the table that may be a little different than other candidates?
5: I think a lot of energy. Okay. Probably, probably key. Uh, I, am, I, will be, um, I would be the youngest woman governor ever elected in the United States, which would be interesting and also exciting. To do the job that is in front of us with the, the huge shortfall that we face, you absolutely have to have the energy and the commitment because it will be hard work. The state of Maine is a really interesting place, too. For the last 60 years, we haven't elected anyone as governor that was over the age of 50. So I would, and there's actually four people that were 40 and under. Muskie, Senator Muskie was 40 when he was elected governor of Maine.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Jock McKernan, Ken Curtis, and uh, Governor Reed, they were all 40 or under. So we've we've got a history of electing people that are in their prime, that have the energy and have the fortitude to do the hard work. So I do bring that, that uh, added benefit. I get up every morning and I practice yoga. I've done that since my youngest child was born. It gives me focus and strength, and I have, you know, the ability to, I think, outdo everyone <laughs> when it comes to energy. <laughs> but, you know, yeah.
4: I was going <laughs> to I'm sorry, really, I was just, just going to say, how old are the kids?
5: My kids are 13, 10, and 9, and they're right at that great spot. I always say we're at the sweet spot where there's no diapers and everyone's in school full days and they have their activities till 530 and no one's one's driving any cars. So we're we're right in the great, great place to do what we're doing right now. And my husband, honestly, I did. I married right. He's a fantastic man, and he is incredibly supportive. And you have to have, I believe, supports, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. You've got to have good support to do what you're doing, to do what
3: I'm doing. Well, that's great. I was just going to comment on that you know, we know what a, what a driver for a leader is self-management. And before you talked about the yoga, I was going to say, I wonder, you know, what's your way of reflecting? What's your way of recharging? You know, uh, Warren Bennis, who's a great uh, leadership guru, says probably the key characteristic of a leader is resilience. And it sounds exactly what you have there with your practice of yoga.
5: Absolutely, it's discipline and it's focus. It gives me center, set, ability to center every day. And whether it's 15 minutes or it's an hour and 15 minutes every day, it's a it's a consistent thing in my life, and it has been for 10 years. So a decade of practice. I practice on my own. It's just part of my routine, and it gives me that ability to um, re-energize and refocus. Mm-hmm. Even first thing in the morning, it just it gives me the the okay. needed centering that is so important right now. I'm spending a lot of time taking in a lot of people's. Um, information. I do a lot more listening than I do talking. You know, I'm on the radio now and you're asking me a lot of questions, but when I'm out and about, I spend a lot of time listening. And and in order to have that strength and to really be able to be present and hear people's concerns and ideas, I believe you've got to be very focused and very centered. 've done I've also, done, think, and, mar- I've also done marathons, and I wouldn't recommend that.
3: <laughs> oh gee okay yeah, say,
5: yeah. this this, camp, this campaign is a marathon yeah, so've we've, we've got one one going right now.
4: <laughs> so one of the things that strikes me um, before we let you go on the show today is uh, what what would you say to your constituents if you were practicing for your weekly update with the constituents who Care most about your agenda and tune in every week. What what might that opening
5: sentence sound like? When I go out and talk to people, you know, my stump speech is that what you're saying?
4: No, you're, you're you know the the governors like the president they do their weekly speech. Oh, their weekly uh, yes. Yeah. On the radio or the TV. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. what might be your your opening sentence to your constituents once you've won?
5: Oh, that's interesting. Well, I would like, I mean, every time I was able to connect with people that way, I would just, I would want to say that I was open and, you know, so nice to be where I am and gratitude because those are, I think that's important. I don't want to be preaching at people and I don't want to be listing a travel log of where we are in a state. I would want to connect and tell them my stories and first, you know, say I'm grateful to have learned whatever I had learned in that week. Because I think the most important thing we need to do to lead is to be out of the state house and to be in Maine from one end to the other and to be hearing from people every day. If we want to make this transformational change, it'll be about inspiring Maine people, not just the people that are working with me in Augusta, but Maine people, because we're going to have to do things collectively that are going to be difficult. And in order to do that, we need to have our message out, and we need to be hearing back from people how they're feeling. So that's how I would open up. Every Saturday morning, which is a tremendous amount of gratitude for all that I had learned in that week and the people that I had come in
3: contact with
5: in that week. And then we get on beautiful. to talking about the hard stories. <laughs> beautiful.
3: That is beautiful. And just <clears throat> thinking about the challenge of Maine and, and the challenge of change, maybe as we're coming to the close here, you can say some key words about bringing about change. And we talked about Obama and, and his campaign about, about change. And <clears throat> Kathy and I know from trying to bring about change, uh, it's it's elusive, and some people talk that, about that they want it, but then when it comes, it's uncomfortable, and it, you know it, it brings sometimes a uh, kind of a no message in the brain. I want change, but I don't necessarily want that much change.
5: Right.
3: So, what, say a little words about just bringing about the change that you want to bring. You know that may be unique to uh, people at Maine.
5: I I have no um, delusion about what this process will be like, because we've seen it in the last year. We've gone from a a high to a low in terms of people's willingness and openness to the kind of change. But so much of that, I think, has to do with feeling like there's still politics involved and that the human emotion and the real issues that people are facing are not being dealt with. Healthcare, for example, was caught up in what appeared to be political games, and that's just a big turnoff for people. We need to talk about the issues and be very forthright about getting things done. And that's why I want to get to Augusta solely on my own, um, not beholden to any particular constituency, because it's so important to go there untethered and untied and be open and have everyone have a seat at the table. Because there's such change that's needed, you don't want to give any negative
3: mm.
5: you know, to anyone, to any particular constituency. It needs to be open and fair. So, you know, change is hard. No one wants the status quo. In the state of Maine, we are so ready for something new and different because we know what we have here is not working. The rest of the country did get change. We haven't gotten our fair share. But at the same time, I recognize that the things that need to be done are going to be very difficult, and that's why connecting with Maine people all the time will be so important, to have a very clear message and a very clear vision for the direction of the state and, again, to ask for buy-in from people. It can't just be the people that you're working with. On policy, it has to be the people yeah. that you're connecting with every single day in the whole entire state. Right.
3: You know, a couple of things I'm just thinking about, you know, from the business standpoint, but you know, just kind of from the government standpoint, we know about engagement. You use the word engagement, are people motivated? And we know from some of the research or Gallup on the management side, they also do the political side, some of the key things that you are just saying, you know, it leads to engagement. My opinion seems to count. My supervisor right. or my, my governor seems to, to care about me. I have the resources I, I need to do my job. These are all more business-related, but they would be directly related to the, to the state.
5: Absolutely. I, I sat with a lovely man last week who is the head of the union for 180 members of the corrections uh, union, and he wow. said if they would only just listen to the three top things that I have suggested to save money, we would have such a happy, productive group, hmm. but they won't listen to us. And, and they want the same thing that everyone wants, which is to see efficiency and to see savings and to see their ideas implemented. Mm-hmm. And there seems to me that that's a win-win, and I don't understand why they aren't being listened to. Mm-hmm. The, and this is not a union leader who's saying, I want another $2 an hour or I want more benefits. He's saying, I'd like to be heard because I see there's waste, and I'd like, I'd like my jail to find those savings mm-hmm. and my ideas to be implemented. And I think that's true with every, every person wants to be heard and wants to be participating in, in their organization. And we aren't doing that now. No,
4: and it's interesting that persuasion and influence are such important critical leadership characteristics, not only for someone who's in politics, but someone who really truly at their heart, at their center and core, want to create change because you have to get people to hear you and listen to you and want to engage with you before they're going to do anything that makes a change.
5: Right. Well, the state of Maine, each representative has 8,500 constituents. I truly believe that the first people you need to be connecting with are Maine citizens because they have uh, a voice.
4: Yeah, and, and I think when you're dealing with a, a company and you're the leader of a company, whether you're in the department, uh, across you know, an industry, or a global organization, you have to start where you have the most influence and make the most impact And it sounds like you're heading in the right direction there.
5: Well, I think there's just tremendous opportunity for our state. We really can be great. We can be the peak of New England, but we absolutely have to all be pointing in the same direction, and we need to prioritize. And that will be a challenge for the next governor, and I hope that it's me, because I I do have a passion for what I'm doing, and I think we really can do things differently.
4: Now, we're we're getting to the end of the show time here, but I do have a question for you, and that is, how hard is this job going to be, given the current state of affairs and the economic situation that Maine and other nation states have been facing over the
5: past couple of years? It'll be tr- it'll be tremendously difficult, and it will be the same type of experience that I had when I turned around my business in '05, which is frankly I was in a state of flow. I just everything was working because we were all working together with a focused mission, and there was a tremendous amount of energy around the you know, experience and I, I hope to have the same kind of people around me when I'm leading the state through this transition because it can be incredibly exciting and the opportunities are abundant. There's a tremendous amount of low hanging fruit in the way we operate state government and I can see it now through all the work I've done over the last year as a candidate, and I can't wait to get there because I think that there's, so, there's just so much we can do, and together it could be such a tremendous opportunity to, to get, provide an example for the rest of the country, how you can turn around a state. We're a small enough state that we could affect significant change. It'll be hard, but it will be exciting.
3: Well, Rosa, this is, this is so exciting. Let me just say we're talking with uh, Rosa Scarcelli, a uh, Democratic candidate for governor of Maine. And what's your, uh, the website, again, for folks?
5: It's rosa 4
3: And as you can hear Rosa talk, uh, she is a leader with high emotional intelligence, and that is going to be one of the key critical uh, factors, probably is one of the critical factors that's allowed her to be such a great business leader and it's going to allow her to be such a a great uh, governor. So, Rosa, thank you very much for taking out the time. We wish you the the best of luck in this campaign.
5: This was fantastic. I'm really grateful to both of you. Thank you.
3: This is Leadership Development News. Uh, Tune in again next week, and we're signing off for now. Thank
1: you.